0: Welcome to the Creative Empire Podcast. Each week, Raina Pomeroy, the life and biz success coach, and Christina Scalera, the attorney for creatives, are taking you up close and personal with successful influencers in the creative community and tackling your biggest business hurdles. Their mission is to help you, creative entrepreneurs, think beyond your daily biz so you can make the brave decisions that build your creative empire.
1: Welcome back for another episode of the Creative Empire podcast. Raina and I are joined today by Amber Ray, who has been called a millennial motivator by Fortune and the Brene Brown of Wonder by Mind Body Green. She is an author, artist, and speaker whose work invites you to live your truth, befriend your emotions, and express your gifts. Her writing blends raw personal storytelling with actionable aha moments and has reached more than 5 million people in 195 countries. Her public art has spread to more than 20 countries, and she's spoken to and collaborated with brands like Kate Spade, Apple, Amazon, and Unilever. Amber has been featured in the New York Times, Time, Fast Company, BBC, ABC World News, and Tim Ferriss's blog. which. Lastly, but most importantly, is my favorite. <laughs> Amber has helped launch six best-selling books as chief evangelist of Seth Godin's publishing experiment and started an accelerator for your life called The Bold Academy. She lives in Brooklyn and around the world with her fiancé, Farhad. Welcome, Amber Ray. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. So you are incredibly accomplished. This is biography is fantastic. But tell us like who you really are, because this is the super fancy version that everybody gets to read about. But how can we connect with you? Like, tell us a little bit about your story, the flyby version.
2: Totally. So I I'd say I'm a curious human, who's always wondered who we are, why we do the things we do, what motivates us. And I think a lot of it started with the early death of my father. And my father was this brilliant artist, businessman, singer, songwriter, and he was following his dream. His band was actually called Dreamer. And although he was like on the path of following his dream of music, he had a lot of addictions and like he was very much the sex, drugs, rock and roll era. And he really let his demons get the best of him. And that led him to get behind the wheel under the influence and it led to his early death. And so I remember being a young girl when, you know, all of this happened and having the, the absence and, and the death of him. And that actually fueling like both like me trying to navigate my, my grief as a 12-year-old girl, while also my like anger that he let that get the best of him, as well as my curiosity around like why we as humans do the things that we do. And so I feel like I've always been interested in psychology, human behavior, and the human condition since I was a teen and started really exploring psychology then. And that, you know, there was this moment when I was 12, when I got the news that he had died. And I remember my first thought, and he actually, so he was in a care center. The accident happened when I was three, but he didn't pass till I was 12, but basically never regained full consciousness. So he was like in a care center for nearly 10 years. And so when... He did finally pass. I felt this overwhelming sense of relief. And then my second thought was, like, don't die with your gifts still inside. And I had this, like, oh, it was like this rallying cry for my life that I didn't want to die, not having expressed the things that I'm here to express because I didn't want to do what he did. And so that really has been, you know, a force in my life. And that's taken me, you know, a decade ago, if you had met me, this you asked me for like the short version, this might be the longer version, but I'll try and keep it it's brief. It's fascinating. Keep going. You're okay. great. You know, if you had met me a decade ago, I was actually, I found myself following in my father's footsteps where I was, you know, rising the ranks in tech and doing and creating and living this life that I thought everyone else wanted me to live. And popping Adderall to get more done and very much in this more better faster productivity as self-worth kind of way of being and it was really soul crushing and led to this full breakdown moment where i realized that like you know maybe my dad's drug of choice was cocaine and mine was Adderall which you know weren't very different and maybe he was escaping things but really i was like chasing work and chasing thinking that if i hustled for more you know i would get a, be approved of and so that led me to this breakdown moment and really led to this breakthrough of, of wanting to turn my life into this journey of self-discovery. And so I really turned my life into a living laboratory of sorts and began studying human emotions and what, what our, how our emotions show up, what they're messengers for. And then that led me to like work with Seth and do all these things out in the world. But it's been like this inner outer journey the whole way. Wow.
3: That must have been I mean, that story is incredible. And I think there's so many layers that we can peel back. And it's really interesting that you've made a career out of the, the process of the self-discovery. And you said you were a curious human. I think that's really an interesting description as well. Can you like, encapsulate the work that you do now and how, how that translates into the community and the, the people that you serve with the work you're doing?
2: Yeah. So primary, I mean, right now I just wrote a book called Choose Wonder Over Worry, which I've just literally returned from a seven city tour with, I think over a hundred events and media appearances. So it's been full on. I've been on this, this ride of really pushing this message of Choose Wonder Over Worry out into the world. And so I bring that to life through talks, through events, through uh, speaking at companies, and then I also create a lot of art around our our emotions and how we can reframe our relationship to them. But really, my my life's work is around the notion that our feelings are our friends when we can learn to understand the messages in our emotions and learn to understand why they're here, what they're telling us, and and how we can work with them and become masters of them. And so, you know, I serve whether it's like going to Kate Spade and creating a safe space for their company to talk about the worry and the anxiety and the fear and, and the emotions that emerge in the process of creating anything, or I'm in a group of entrepreneurs or at a startup or you know, a group of women. It's really just about guiding and teaching for me. That's so cool. And I think that w- before we hit record, we were talking
3: about my perception of this work is that it's so pervasive. Everyone needs to be thinking about this because it, it's happening in our bodies, like every day, we just don't express it. We just keep pushing through and trying to keep on being productive, like you said. What is the consequence
2: to keeping it inside or not exploring it? Well, you know, it's interesting because having just gone to Kate Spade to create to hold space for them. And this was weeks after their founder had or their like their founder who wasn't still there, but Kate Spade who had died, or you look at Anthony Bourdain, while I can't begin to know who they were, what was going on in their lives, what I do know is that they weren't openly and actively talking about their mental and emotional health. And so I feel like, you know, the consequence can be, you know, as drastic or as extreme as, as suicide. But, you know, I think for everyday person, I think we're all dealing with normal anxieties, fears, worries, doubts, insecurities, feeling like an imposter. And often, you know, we don't really live in a society that showed us what to do with those feelings. And, you know, the biggest thing that I've experienced in in my research and in meeting with people is that people feel like they're alone in what they're feeling, when really the thing that unifies us as a human race is our emotions. And no matter you know where we are, where we come from, what we're pursuing, if we're the CEO of a giant company or we're lost and confused in figuring out our life, we navigate similar emotions. And when we can create these, these containers to really talk about them, both as, as a community, but also just like a container, a safe space with ourselves every morning. So like for me, I journal every morning. That's a way of me connecting with my inner world. But the consequence of not doing that is, you know, it leads to a lot of repression that can turn into disease, that can turn into a, a greater depth of anxiety because the anxiety was never looked at. And you know, I love the the image of for a long time I thought that if I just put my emotions, my uncomfortable emotions, in a box, tied it up, and put it on the third shelf of my closet, that I could like never look at it again. And I was alarmed to find that that box didn't go away. It only increased in size. And so, you know, our emotions, especially when we don't look at them, they don't disappear. They they increase. So true. It's so true. It's
3: like trying to avoid a pothole. It's (laughs) fine to avoid the pothole. Like, ooh, that's not great to to do. And then you go around it. But then with our emotions, that pothole just keeps on growing until we actually fall into it. So I think it's really interesting that we need to confront – or confront seems like a really strong word, but I, I come from it from the example or the, the thought process of if we do this
2: work, we will become happier humans. What's your take on that? 100%. You know, to me, I define happiness as embracing and welcoming every shade of myself, no matter how dark or light. And so happiness isn't being in positivity and optimism all the time it's it's allowing the fullness of yourself to be expressed and acknowledged and I really love the word there acknowledge and just being in a practice of acknowledging our emotions and not attaching a story or a meaning to, to why they're here. so it's like let's say that you know we're angry and there's this there's actually this Greek religion called Hel- Helianism, and this is like way back in the ancient days, and they believe that emotions came as visitors, and so our job was to just feel them and let them go. And I love thinking about, you know, like, oh, anger is visiting me today. Like, why is anger here? What does it want me to know? What message does it have for me? Versus the storyline of anger is bad. I don't want to feel anger. Anger means something's wrong. You know how we can jump into that story? That's when it it, be, it can become a problem. But rather, like, oh, anxiety's here today. Like, hmm, I wonder why I'm anxious. I wonder what triggered this. And this is where the curiosity and the wondering comes into place. You know, was there a conversation that created more anxiety, or like, what is what is the message here? So good. I'm loving this so much. Um. <laughs> I'm like, yes, preach. I think
3: it's so interesting because as entrepreneurs, a lot of the work that we do is very personal. And we do feel a high sense of personal attachment to the work that we're putting out into the world and therefore ha- tend to have a lot of anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. I, I found that a lot of our my personal clients have either a diagnosed or just a heavy sense of anxiety in general. And as a mental health professional in my past life, it's very clear to me that this is something that I wish more people were talking about. And I know also that talking about this stuff is very, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not exactly like the most lucrative topic in terms or the most lucrative profitability wise for an entrepreneur to focus on because it doesn't have immediate results. It's like, if I do this thing, it's not going to make me more money. Mm -hmm. What's your, what's your like counter to that? Like, why should we be focusing on this? And how does it tie to the bottom line for entrepreneurs?
2: Great question. I've never been asked that question before.
3: <laughs> I mean, is it a valid question? You can co- like you can tell me that it's not, but I'm I, curious because I feel like there is a need for this conversation and a need to focus on it, but we don't do it because it's not a quick fix.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, our mindset is what controls every aspect of our lives. So, I mean, how much is your well-being worth? How much is your sense of like clarity worth? How much is like, those are the questions that I would ask yourself, like, do I want to feel well? And what is that worth to me? Do I want my business to thrive? And do I believe that if I as a human am thriving, then my business will thrive? And if so, how much is that worth to me? And so, you know, I feel like the foundation of anything that we create is the mindset and the state that we're coming from. And that infuses into every interaction that we have, every decision that we make, every person that we lead or mentor, every collaboration that we enter into every you know business decision that's really important. Where are we coming from a place of anxiety and fear and worry and doubt and scarcity? Or are we coming from a place of curiosity and wonder and collaboration and possibility and abundance? And so I feel like, whatever that mindset is, that's going to impact every aspect of our business. And, and to me, that's worth everything.
1: Definitely. But for some of us, like Rena's the coach, she's a former social worker. I feel like I'm the opposite end of the spectrum. And I have a lot of resistance to doing things for myself, mm-hmm. to investigating emotions and feelings. Like it's even been so bad that when I was in therapy, the therapist would like, be like he'd be like, oh, you, you really came to that emotion faster today, Christina, you're making progress. And then he would just put his head in his hands because literally like all that great stuff happened. And then five minutes before our time is up, I'm like, okay, so what's my homework? What do I do next? What do I do? And he's like, no, like, that's not the point. Like, (laughs) the point is, is not to like give you a to do list of action items. It's like for you to explore and learn more about yourself. And like, my I still don't entirely connect with what he said. I'm just like, there's no emotion that shows up on my Myers-Briggs or anything, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like a robot sometimes. Got
2: it. So, well, where does the resistance come from for you? I'm curious.
1: Yeah, this is, you might be better than my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, it's it's been a lot of like, I know it's my family history, like the the house that I grew up in, I was going to be a lawyer from the time I was 12 years old and that was my path in life. And mm-hmm. so for me... Like there was no room for emotion. Emotion got in the way of getting into a better college, getting into a better law school than everybody else. And so, you know, I think that's where it comes from is like 30 years of practice shutting emotions down. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) it's, I mean, as you know, it's like really difficult to reverse those thought patterns and to even like, it's taken me a long time to even recognize that that's what was happening here. And I think there's some other stuff I could go deeper, but I'm not going to bore you guys. But yeah, I think it's it's a lot of that, and it it's really really difficult for me to like spend time wondering or spend time curating or cultivating this side of my life or my personality or however you want to classify it. And I know I'm not the only one out there. So there's some people that are, are they're already listening and they're like yeah, like they're so on board. And then I I can just feel like the other guys out there that are like me, maybe not as as much or maybe more so who aren't connecting. And they're like, I could never connect in this way to my emotions. I could never just take time to wonder. I could never like, this is why we have two perspectives
2: on this podcast, (laughs) right? Like we get to, we get to ask from different angles. So what's your take on this, Amber? Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for opening up. And you know, the story that stood out to me was that emotions get in the way. And that's a really powerful familial and cultural narrative that has been really, you know, pushed in our society that we won't succeed if we feel our emotions. And so, you know, my other, what comes up for me is like, has that worked for you? Has pushing your emotions away worked?
1: In some ways, yes. In some ways, not. How has it worked? How hasn't it worked? I mean, I don't think I would be where I am if I hadn't pushed those emotions aside, like there were, I can remember so many times in college, you know, normal college stuff is happening. My friends are going out to a party I wasn't invited to because I turned them down for the last three times I get broken up with, or I break up with someone like those like normal college experiences. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying like, quote unquote, normal. I, not, I know not everybody has that as a normal experience, but for me, that was normal. Yeah. Like those kinds of things I would be I would allow myself to be sad for you know an evening at most, an hour, <laughs> and then I would be like, you know what? New morning, new library room, <laughs> let's study for the LSAT. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah. I'm even using it right now. Humor is my coping mechanism. It's funny because yeah. there's that Bare Naked Ladies song that's like, or I think it's Bare Naked Ladies. He's like, she only laughs at a funeral or something. That's so me. Like I so resonate with that when I'm uncomfortable or when I'm upset, like I am the funniest person you've ever been around.
2: (laughs) Got it. Well, you know, and just in what I heard you say, I didn't hear you say that like I felt sad and I ate my sadness or I felt sad and I never allowed myself to feel it. And then like it blew up two years later. What I heard was I let myself feel it for a day or an hour and then I like got back to work. And so, like the work of emotional mastery is not to become our emotions; it's to like see them as, as understand why they're here, what they want us to know, feel them, let them go, in, and move forward. And so, I actually like empathized with you when you said, you know, you wanted action items from your therapist. The difference between a therapist and a coach is that a coach is guiding you to action, and a therapist is like holding space for uncovering. And so I think it's great that you, what I hear from you is that you're feeling the feeling and like moving forward. I I don't, you know, we, this could be a separate conversation around treating humor as a, as a way to, or using humor as a way to uh, cope with, with discomfort. That's a whole other conversation. But I think ultimately, you know, the goal for people is to not let their emotions to rule or run them, like not to let fear drive your decision-making or not to let, not to ignore sadness and grief so that it blows up in your face two years later. It's more having an ongoing acceptance and opening to these emotions and letting them have a seat at the, at the table of our lives.
1: You're blowing my mind. (laughs) So true. And I love this so much. Yeah. It's an interesting paradigm shift from the traditional self-help and books, and I mean, therapy, everything that I've known to immerse myself in, I'm like, oh, gosh, I really need to jump on the Amber Ray train right now. (laughs) And like, just dive into everything you've got. This is very interesting, Amber, I think, because one, you're challenging really concise things. You're you're not like asking me general questions, which actually makes me think, whereas with most therapists, I'm able to like, and you're not a therapist. I understand, like this. So, how? But disclaimer for our audience. But yeah, it's interesting. How are you able to do this at a mass level? Because we talked about in your intro how you've affected so many people through so many different channels. So, how do you find your work is most effectively
2: out there? How did you scale this? Great question. And it's something that I'm still like. I feel like in that's a question that I ask myself every day of how do I scale this sort of conversation? How do I bring this dialogue to the masses? For me, the form that it's most easily taken is both uh, writing and visual art. So like on my Instagram, I do a ton of, I'm always thinking of like, cause people think in visuals, how do you create a very quick and easy reframe for people to understand that? Like, it's like, I think one image on my Instagram is like, I failed at that thing. And shame says you're a failure. But compassion says, you know, of course, failure is part of the process, like what's next. And so for me, it's creating a lot of the visual art, doing the writing. And, you know, my writing style is people tend to connect with like, you know, I'm sharing when I was in like a pit of shame and how I moved through it, or when I had a full blown anxiety panic attack, and then how I learned to work with and navigate that anxiety. So a lot of my writing is, is personal memoir storytelling. But then I've like, You know, met with the psychotherapists and the neuroscientists and and all the experts and I weave their insights and what I've learned from them into how we actually take action and move forward. And so, you know, I think there's for me the big question is how do I continue to take this further and further? How has the book affected
1: this? Like do you find that's an effective tool or is it just the gateway drug to more amber
2: ray or I mean, I hopefully it's the gateway drug to your own self. Like, you know, I'm a big believer that I want people to hold their own hands. And so I really approach the book as a guidebook. And so it's like part memoir, part map, part manifesto. And what I mean by that is like, it's a manifesto. It's a big idea. It's this idea of choosing wonder over worry. Worry is the voice of our inner critic. Wonder is the voice of our curious inner guide. And it takes us on this journey, sort of like the movie Inside Out to meet the characters of our inner world. And then it's a map in that there's a ton of journal prompts, I call them wonderventions and exercises throughout to support that aha moment. And then it's a memoir because my writing style is super open, raw and real. And so for me, the book is like, it is that like gateway, but my hope is that it's a gateway for someone to connect with their own selves in a way that they haven't be- before. And to see the, like the power and the momentum that happens outwardly in their life and the things that they create when they take that quick daily pause, you know, to connect with themselves. And so, you know, again, just coming off the tour, I feel like the book is that, that first entry point, but there's, you know, I have 30 more books in me. I have ideas for one woman shows where I bring to life every emotion. Cause I like, like Grace is my 30-something British woman who hails from London and she's my inner perfectionist and she wants everything in a very neat and tidy box. And so I also like name and archetype the different emotions inside of me so I can dialogue with them and actually like negotiate with my emotions and so I can make better decisions.
3: <laughs> so good. I love this so much. My I have an inner critic and her name's Mean Girl. So I, turn <laughs> it, I tell her to turn it down when she's yeah. kicking me. No, but this is really important stuff. And I'm curious when people are in a shame cycle or I'm not good enough cycle, which I think happens often on Instagram. And yes, your Instagram feed is awesome and beautiful. I'm curious, what do you recommend for people to do besides buying your book and kind of like digesting this on their own? What would you recommend for people who are not yet curious about their emotions? And how can we encourage them to think about what they're feeling differently?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the first step is just to notice and to become aware of of the thoughts that you're thinking. So I like to think of it as like a non-judgmental thoughts audit, knowing that whatever you're thinking is creating who you are, what you think you're capable of, and all the decisions that you're making. And, you know, most of so many of our thoughts are actually live in our unconscious brain, which means that we're unconsciously being driven. But when we can begin to just become aware of like, you know, is there a constant voice inside your head saying, I'm not good enough to do that? Or like if you get an email from, or let's say you send out an email to like someone that you really want to collaborate with and you they don't reply back. Do you make that mean that, you know, they're not interested in something's wrong with you? Like just becoming aware of what the sort of inner dialogue and reaction is, that sort of awareness just illuminates sort of the the state of what your your inner mind is like. And so I think, you know, for one, beginning that that awareness practice. And for me, that's why, you know, I've labeled the, these two sort of voice or states as worry and wonder, because worry is that those critical anxious voices, whereas wonder is more of those like, hmm, I wonder what that means. Or, okay, they said no, who are five more people I can reach out to? It's the, it's the part of us that's like always guiding us into possibility and in action. So I'd say, you know, step one, become aware. And then you know you brought up shame and what i what i think is so interesting about shame is that shame is when we find ourselves spiraling in shame is that shame is a social concept so shame can't exist when it's shared and so if we find ourselves like you know let's say that we got rejected or a project didn't turn out how we liked or we didn't lock the funding that we wanted and we're spiraling in shame. If we keep that locked away inside, it can, again, increase and grow. But because shame is social, if we share it with someone that we trust, someone who's not going to like, someone who's just going to listen, that shame will instantly dissolve because, because it doesn't live in trusted spaces.
3: I love that. And <laughs>
2: shame doesn't exist. It can't exist when we start
3: talking about it and thinking about it, right? Exactly. Christina, did you have thoughts?
1: Yeah, it was funny. Um, I feel like I bumble my way through life compared to you two. Um, (laughs) But what happened last month at my mastermind retreat was uh, one of the days that we were there was actually the third anniversary of when my best friend from law school passed away. And Mm. I shared that with the group, fully expecting to just be like that whole morning. I had been really kind of like antisocial and for lack of a better word, you know what, and my friends knew something was up there. And so I, I said it and I just expected to be like the same way all day in a bad mood and crying on and off and blah, blah, blah. And um, as soon as I said it, I didn't feel like I needed to cry anymore. Like I just like, it was really weird. It was just like it exited my body. I don't know how else to say mm-hmm. it. And I described that experience to a couple of the friends that we were sharing a room later that day, and they were like, Well, yeah, duh, Christina, like, as soon as you talk about something, it doesn't have any power over you. And it was like, for me, that <laughs> right, Raina always says what's duh to you is mind blowing to others. Like, you two can so clearly see that stuff. But I was like, what <laughs> this like new realm of possibility, if you just talk about your problems instead of, you know, in the five years ago, I, I would have never said that I would have just been kind of mean to people, and they would have assumed I was being a jerk. So yeah, I think it's important to talk about things. And it was really scary for me to do that in front of a group of like, we're talking incredibly accomplished women. I won't name them here just to name names, but just like you guys know who they are. And so it was just really scary, but it was cool to have that experience. And it's kind of like what you're talking about here. Like you don't have to, you guys listening, it you don't have to wait to have a moment like that. You know, you don't have to wait like 30 years to have that moment. You could possibly create it now using the kinds of tools that you're talking about here, Amber Ray.
2: Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. I think that's, it's such a powerful, you know, I have this, I coined like this idea that we name it to tame it. And so when we name vividly out loud what we're feeling or what we're experiencing, we actually tame it. And there is that release. And so it's so powerful when we take something that feels stuck inside of it and we let it go. So I love that you shared that. And yeah, let's get it out so it's not stuck in our systems. And you know, I think my two favorite ways of doing that are morning journaling. So actually getting up every single morning and just like using it as this place to release and whatever's in my space, whatever I'm annoyed at, pissed off about, whatever feelings are inside of me, just let it out. And that's 20 minutes and it literally like gets that energy out of the day so I can really go in full force. And the second is what you shared. Like if you're if you're ashamed of something or something, you know, is bothering you, you're having a bad day, who's that person that you can reach out to and say, Hey, you know, I just wanna be honest. Can I share like what's going on for me right now? And having that, you know, is such a, a powerful tool for us. So good. Christina, are you are you a journaler? I know you like notebooks.
1: I, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I have way too many notebooks for the time I have. I probably have enough for the rest of my life. It's sad. But yeah, I do. I like to journal. But as you're talking, Amber, I'm thinking like, I wish I had more intentional journaling, if that makes sense. Mm. Like I wish I had questions that I was asking myself on a regular basis to just – like one of the most fun journals I ever kept in my life was some book I bought for like 13 bucks in anthropology and it was like a, like a one-a-day type thing. But it, it was for five years. And every day it had a question and you could fill it in. Ooh. It was like so interesting. It was like, if you were an animal, what would you be today? And like to look mm-hmm. back at the previous four years and see what I said. It was just like those kinds of things were really cool. That's a little bit light and fluffy. But I like what kind of tools or tips or is there anything that, that
2: you journal about in particular or a question or intention or anything like that that you set before you do your journaling? So typically, the question I'll write at the top is like, right now I'm feeling dot, dot, dot. And it's literally just to my intention is a non judgmental, safe space with myself to let go and release whatever wants to be released. And it reminds me, I went to this workshop with Cheryl Strayed about a year ago when I was wrapping up my manuscript. And Cheryl, uh, she wrote the book, The Memoir Wild. And when she got on the stage, she said to everyone, Do you tell your journal the truth? And everyone was like, oh, you know, most people there were (laughs) writers. Like, do you tell your journal the truth? Because if we can't be truthful and honest with ourselves, then like, how is that showing up in our lives? And so my intention every morning is to be really honest with myself. And, you know, sometimes it takes me like two weeks to admit something isn't working that I really want to work. But at least like, you know, I'm showing up and I'm slowly chipping away. And, you know, and so I have some periods of journaling where it's like, I feel so on fire and things are great. And then I have periods where I'm like, everything is terrible. <laughs> and Just letting whatever, wherever I'm at and however I'm feeling to have that space every day to be released. It's like exactly what you're saying. When you finally shared that thing with that group of women, like for me, it's like I get that release every morning and then it doesn't, it's not, my mind isn't as active around it all day. It's not impacting my emotional state. I have a similar
3: practice. So, I've been doing this grateful heart journal for a while where every morning I'll just do a 3-minute brain dump of all the all the things that I'm worried about on the left, and then yep. I fold it over and then I write all the things I'm grateful for. And just like brain dumping it out and what typically happens on the left side is like all the things that I'm feeling lack around or feeling like I am behind on and then the things that are like sucking the most energy from those Few things I try to just voice. I have a Voxer, so it's like your—it's just a vo- voice memo to myself, and I just talk about it for like a good ten minutes, and mm. then I do like you know a similar thing for the gratitude side. If there's something that's especially sparking on that side that I really want to just talk through, I literally just do it to myself, and it's kind of a weird. I'm a verbal processor, so I like to not just journal by hand, but I've been trying this thing where I'm talking to myself, which sounds kind of crazy, but I go on a walk and then I just talk about it with myself. (laughs) And it's been really therapeutic. So it's been really fun to like explore how I'm feeling about that one thing that's really draining me. And sometimes it continues to persist, but it feels a little bit lighter. And sometimes it's just like completely gone or I know what I need to do in order to
2: move forward in it. Mm hmm. I love that. And I love that you're so aware of because some people are like a written type and some people are more of a verbal. So it's like also knowing what is your processing style? Like, do you need to talk to another person? Can you just talk with yourself? Are you more of a writer? Like knowing that format for, for you is so key.
3: Yeah, because I find that like some people are shamed, which sounds really crazy, but like shame for not being a journaler in this space. Like you got to be a journaler to be good. And it's like, no, like, how do you process your information? How can we lean into that strength a little bit more? I think it's probably really important. So I'm like really fascinated by this conversation and like everything that's been happening. What have been your biggest takeaways from this book tour? What have been some of like uh, any stories that you'd like to share?
2: Can I share one more tool that was just coming? Up
3: oh, yeah, of course.
2: <laughs> so because I this is like speaks to different ways. So one of my favorite go to exercises, it's called the two chairs. And basically, let's say I'm like really challenged with something in one chair, I'll like be the like, anxious. So let's say like, this essay is good, isn't good enough. Everyone's gonna hate it. And I can't believe that you're writing this because people are going to judge you. Let's say like, that's the reoccurring worry or thought. I'll like, say that in one chair and then i'll go to the other chair and the other chair is like the voice of wisdom or the voice of perspective and so the voice of wisdom or perspective would be like hmm so where did you get the idea that everyone's going to hate it and then i'll go in the other chair and it's like well just uh, like i'm just in and i let that voice speak out and then i'll like go back in the other chair and it's like this process of truth checking the thoughts that you're having because so often like i'm making up these grand dramatic stories that like actually aren't based in any sense of truth or fact. And so the process of like going from chair to chair from this like voice of anxiety to this connecting with this voice of wisdom allows for us to like find evidence to prove that what we're telling ourselves isn't actually true.
3: So I know you're coming off of a really great book tour. Can you tell us a little bit about if there were any memorable
2: moments or any stories that you'd like to share? Ooh, well, I'd say the most memorable and sort of crazy synchronistic part of this journey is so in the beginning of the book, I talk about this moment of my dad passing when I was 12. And then I sort of I closed the book with, he's sort of how I yeah, how I begin and end things. And I closed the book with finding this letter that he had written me. Um, when I was a baby and I didn't find it until my early twenties. And in the letter, he basically encourages me to follow the truth of who I am, no matter you know what other people think of me. And it's this whole full circle journey, which if you read the book, you'll, you'll see how that all ties together. But what was crazy is that the seventh city of the seven city book tour was in Nashville on the 20th year anniversary of his death in the location of his car accident. And that wasn't planned at all. So I just like, for me, I feel like, you know, when I was 12, it was almost like I was initiated into this like journey of not dying with my gifts still inside, then finding myself like making a bunch of bad decisions, sort of choosing to take a different approach to life. And then eventually 10 years later, writing this book, going on this tour, which he was on his own music tour, and then ending the tour on the 20th year anniversary of death, you know, in the location that it happened, it felt like this full circle moment with him. Wow. That's really incredible. So, I mean, I think that was just more the like, whoa, like, I don't, even, I don't even know what's going on here, but I feel like some, I don't know, something beyond me might be might be happening here. And then of course, you know, meeting people who've driven hours and having the opportunity to connect with people, sign their books, listen to their questions you know, and just like, for me, it was all about that, that time to have that one-on-one connection with people in places all over the country. And you got to speak at (laughs) pals. And speak at pals. Yes, of course.
1: Uh, I saw that on your Instagram. (laughs) I was like, Oh gosh, I'm so jealous. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, this is just incredible, Amber. It's, I don't want to say that our guests are all different, but like, I think that your episode is here to affect people an incredibly deep way. So I hope our listeners are prepared for that. I certainly wasn't prepared for this today. Like I thought I was. I did all my normal prep and read your bio and went through your channels. (laughs) Wow, you really surprised me. And just as we were talking here today, I went on Audible, ordered your book. So I'm really excited to jump into that. I have to finish Mel Robbins first. (laughs) I'm doing this thing where I don't start 10 books at once. It's new. But yeah, I'm so excited and I'm glad it's available for everybody to pick up at any major book retailer. If you guys go to bn.com, to Barnes & Noble, if you go to Amazon, if you go to Audible, you can listen. If you're a listener like I am, we're not sponsored by Audible. I wish we were. But you guys can go and pick up Amber Ray's book anywhere that you like to shop. So the name of the book is called Choose Wonder Over Worry move beyond fear and doubt to unlock your full potential. Um, so you guys can go check that out. But Amber, as you're looking ahead, so you're wrapping up this book tour, you have made like an incredible impact on a lot of people. I mean, even just here today, I know Rena and I can like sense it. Like this is a very heavy interview, but in a good way. <laughs> How do you see the future of your creative empire shaping up? What do you expect? What do you hope for? What do you dream of right now?
2: My dream is to continue to take this message as far and wide as possible by really living and being and embodying the message, as well as, you know, taking it to audiences and and people who are ready to hear it. And so for, you know, whether that takes the, that's like strategic collaborations, you know, like goal, Oprah, super soul goal, Tim Ferris podcast to like talk about this conversation. You know, there's sort of those like big moments, but you know, for me, so many authors come out with their book and they like go for that first launch. And really I'm taking the long tail approach and I want to create a, a revolution and a movement around this conversation of emotions and, you know, I think the opposite of depression is expression. And so really creating containers all over the world for people to express themselves. could that statement.
1: <laughs> so where can people go find you in particular? We've already told them where to find the book, but just as a reminder, guys, Amazon, Books A Million, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you buy books, basically, you can go find <laughs> Amber Ray and her book there. So where can people go to connect with you if they want to follow you on Instagram, sign up for your newsletter? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, my favorite place to connect is on Instagram and I'm hey Amber Ray, H-E-Y-A-M-B-E-R-R-A-E. And I would love to also hear if there's something from this interview that really resonates or stands out to you, comment on something I've written, send me a message. I always love hearing what landed. And so you can find me on heyamberrae on Instagram and then my blog and newsletter is at amberrae.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to
1: the show. Go take some screenshots of your episode, tag Amber in it, tag us in it, share it on your story on Instagram. And for those of you listening out there, I hope that if you were affected in some way by this conversation, you do take the time to reach out over Instagram and just give Amber a shout out. Thank you for coming on the show today, Amber. It was so wonderful to have you. I know this is a conversation that definitely needs to be had, and we could talk for hours about it. I really wish we could, (laughs) but for the time being, go out there and build your creative empire.
0: Are you ready to build your own empire? For more information, show notes, downloads, and tips on how to do it, head to www.creativeempire.co where you can find out more about this week's episode and the two lovely ladies behind it all, encouraging you to build your own creative empire. If you enjoyed this week's show, it would mean so much to Reina and Christina if you could take two minutes to go to iTunes and leave a review. It's a little thing that makes a big difference for the show.